it's amazing when you come to a new place in your life and maybe in a new part of of the country, and I'm sure we've all moved and, you know, we all go through a lot of trials and things in our lives. But when we came to Florida just that last November to be a part of G3 in that church plant, Bill was one of the first friendly Florida faces and being able to get together with him and share in his story and Sam's story and how God put them together. And it was just a, uh, it was a wonderful time for us to come on Christmas Eve and worship with you all here, especially to be with, with such a unique group of people who find it uh, their calling to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ every other week in the community. That's really inspiring, and it's been inspiring to both of us and certainly one of our mantras at G3 to, to get out and uh, be a part of the community. So um, we're going to look at John's Gospel today in the ninth chapter, maybe a familiar story to some of you. Before we do that, let's just pray for a quick moment. Father, thank you so much that, Lord, we're gathered around you this morning, and you're here, so we welcome your presence here. We thank you that you've given us your word, that you've given us the guidebook for life. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet each and every day. And now open our hearts to your word, Jesus, and open your word to our hearts, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we're just going to read the text first, and then we'll kind of launch into the teaching. So if you want to read along with me, that would be wonderful. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know. The gospel of our Lord. Now contextually, it kind of helps us to understand where we are from a historical perspective right now in the life of Jesus. He's nearing the end of his public ministry. In a few months, he'll be hanging on that cross. And as we prepare as Christians to celebrate that in a couple weeks, it's appropriate that we're on this journey to the cross once again in our own lives. And you know, John's gospel is all about the deity of Jesus Christ. So when he brings these stories front and center in our lives. It's usually focused on healing or making something better. And healing is something that's very close to our hearts. It's a very part, big part of our world, isn't it? We talked about it this morning as, as Pastor Bill talked about the healing that you pray for in the lives of those close to you. 
And there's certainly that type of healing that requires doctors, nurses, those trained. There's the kind of healing that your body just naturally does because that's the way it's built. Sometimes it, it doesn't require any medical interventions. You know, you get a cut and it heals. You get bruises and they heal. There's a third type of, of healing, one that is brought about by the stresses as doctors and nurses and those in healthcare and the psychological professions would tell, would tell us about that is brought on by the stresses of life. Those kind of illnesses can make us sick. Stress can make us sick as we prayed for young man who burns the candle at both ends as many of us are, are sometimes inclined to do, me included. And so those kind of healings sometimes, when we really look into them, we, do, we don't see them as so terribly miraculous because it's someone just reminding us that, hey, you just have to slow down. And oftentimes you and I need that permission, don't we, in our lives. Somebody to just say, you know, you should really slow down. You should really take a break. You really shouldn't work till 10 o'clock every night and then get up at 4 in the morning and begin again. So sometimes all we need is permission to stop and hear that from someone and then all of a sudden we feel a little bit lighter and the stress feels a little bit lighter and then we feel better, don't we? Well, then there's the fourth type of healing and that's the kind of healing that we're going to look at in John 9, the divine and the miraculous. You know, Jesus began to, was beginning to kind of step up his message to the Pharisees and the legal eagles of his day in the church, proclaiming that he indeed was the Messiah, that he indeed was God. And of course, we know that that's what eventually got him in so much trouble. That's what got him to the cross. So when we consider this story in John 9, and we look at it from a healing perspective, we sometimes find ourselves right in the middle of it. And I oftentimes think that it's so easy for us to understand the Bible when we consider it in human terms. Because all of us have been sick. Some of us have had things that require hospitalizations. All of us can resonate with that, can't we? But when we look at the Bible and we consider it in human terms, that these were real people, these were flesh and blood, just like you and me, then... The lessons in the Bible and the, the things that we read from Genesis to Revelation all of a sudden make a whole lot more sense. Because this was a real man who was born blind. This was a real person, just like people that we know that are born with certain afflictions. Some born without limbs, some born with diseases, some born with incurable things that will last their entire lifetime. So we're presented here with a miracle of Jesus, a healing that is simply divine and simply miraculous. So as he went along, he saw a man that was blind from birth. And the disciples asked the question, who did something wrong? Because in that day, if you were ill, if you were sick, it was either something that was attached to your parents or something that you did that caused the problem. Now, we can kind of relate to that today especially outside the church. If you know you have friends and we have families and, and those that we know that, that aren't a part of a church are pretty eager sometimes to blame something in life or someone else for a, a sickness, for an illness, sometimes for a, a financial predicament, sometimes for, I mean, pick one. The list is long, isn't it? And And... The world kind of races to point a finger at somebody else, don't they? 
well, who did something wrong that this happened? And indeed, there are consequences to the sins in our lives and the choices that we make. There are consequences. But in that day, the church taught. Remember, the Holy Spirit hadn't come. We haven't had Pentecost yet. The church taught that if you were sick. The church taught that if you felt bad. The church taught that if you were going through something bad, it was because something your mom and dad did. Or it was something that you did. That's what the church taught. So the disciples' question is appropriate because they're flesh and blood, just like you and me. Why was he born blind, Jesus? Who screwed up? I know there was a time in my life when I was that man. I thought I was responsible for my own predicament. And it was me that screwed up. And then there was a time in my life when I thought, I'd, well, I'll blame my parents. Well, you just didn't love me enough. Well, you didn't take me on a trip there, and I didn't spend this time with you over here. You ever feel that way? It's mom and dad's fault. So I was that guy. And the crazy part was I was part of a church. They didn't tell me that it wasn't like that. They didn't give me the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. And then Jesus said, but this happens so that the work of God might be on display or might be displayed in his life. Other translations would say that the glory of God, God's work, would be seen in his life. Now let's just push pause here for a minute and think about the fact that he was born blind. Set aside what they thought about in that day and time, what the church taught. The fact that he was born blind. Have you ever considered the, the, the fact that God and his plan is so much bigger than what we think? Could it be that the blindness that he was born with was intentioned by God? Could that be that that was part of his plan? The darkness and light are all under his feet. Could it be that he waited for this day? so that the glory of God would be on display? Because you see, if you go back into Isaiah, about 700 years earlier, Isaiah prophesied that the blind will see, the dumb will speak, the deaf will hear. So as Jesus began to really get serious about the deity that indeed he came to fulfill and who he was, It was necessary that the divine be accentuated. It was necessary that the work of God be on display. Thus, we have a man born blind. Now, the Pharisees and the church, all of the ruling parties, and even those that were churchgoers, even good Jews, knew that only God himself could cure the blindness. That that only came from God. So it put, the, it put the church in a real strange predicament. Not to mention the fact that this was on a Sabbath that he did this. So immediately if you read on in, in the story in the Gospel of John, we find that the Pharisees are really confused because, well, this man, they say that this man is a sinner, and how can a sinner do these things? 
Well, they called him a sinner because he was working on Sunday. Kind of funny, isn't it? He was working on Sunday. Because, see, that was their job to be the church. And now here comes this Jesus, and he's doing this on Sunday. So, well, he must be a sinner. See the hypocrisy in that? When we get to the point where his neighbors and those formerly seen him begging asked, isn't it the same man he used to sit and beg? Can you imagine that this situation? I've known you my whole life, and you've been blind, and I walk by you every day, and you're begging, and I know that you're blind, and some days I have a few extra dollars or coins, and I throw them in your cup, and now you can see. And someone asks me, isn't this the same man? I said, well, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. It's just not possible that God can do miracles, is it? It's just not possible. And, and this Jesus, no way. There's, I mean, he did it with mud. There's no way. It just it, it can't be possible. He's not even part of the church, plus he's working on Sunday. And he's claiming to be God. It can't be true. You must not have been blind from birth. You've just been sitting there your entire life. You know, it was a time in my life when I was just like this guy. In fact, it was the first half of my life that I was like this guy. I was spiritually blind. And I felt the same way probably that he did at times. Like, well, I guess I really did do something. So the life that I have is all that there is. It's all that there's ever going to be. I can't move beyond where I am today. God's not going to work in my life because it was me that sinned. It was me that fell short. And all of these other things that happened in my life, well, that was just, that was because I'd made some wrong choices. It was me. So if I'm going to get, if I'm going to be any better, then I've got to do it myself. I have to learn to see. The problem was that it just kept happening and it kept repeating itself over and over and over again. Something would happen and I'd try to fix it. Something else would happen and I'd try to fix it. But you know, I never felt any better. And I won't share my whole story with you, but when Back in 1979, my first wife passed away of cancer. And I thought, okay, I can do this. I can raise these two kids. I I can just do this. I met a young woman named Ruthie. It seemed like it was too good to be true. So I just kind of set it aside. I married somebody else. That didn't go so well. So I said, "Eh, you're not happy. This isn't working. Let's end this. I can fix it, right? I can fix it. The mud was in my eyes. I couldn't see. The church said, oh, yeah, you weren't any good for each other anyway. I didn't feel any better. But I thought, oh, this will be good now. So I jumped into another relationship and another marriage, and a few years later, that ended too. Oh, you weren't, that just wasn't meant to be, the church would tell me. Friends would tell me. I would seek God in prayer. But not being able to really see ended up in the same place. Back on the corner with my cup. No, he only looks like him. That's not the same guy. He's got a different wife and a different family. 
But what he didn't have was the encounter that the blind man had. He didn't have an encounter with the living God. He didn't have an encounter with the only one who could give him the hope that he needed, that could give him the strength that he needed, that could help him find a joy again in life until I had an encounter with Jesus. And then the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, and told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. And then the world changed. Now it's important for us to look back for just a minute and understand that there were many things in this story, just as they were in my life and probably in your life, that God had prepared along the way so that his glory would be manifested in you or me or in this man on that day. You remember back in Hezekiah's day, King Hezekiah, as he prepared to steal himself from his attackers and provide safe haven within the city of Jerusalem, made plans and built a watering system to be able to provide water for the city because they knew that that was the first thing that conquerors were going to shut off because without water, we can't survive. So he made provisions and rerouted water to be able to provide water for the city and that's what the pool of Siloam was created to be. Siloam means sent. And that was hundreds of years before this day. All prepared. You see, sometimes in our lives, we think that we've got it all under control. We think we've made the right decisions and God's saying, listen, I'm just planting something for years down the road. And we see it from Genesis to Revelation, don't we? We see it in the life of David and Solomon. David isn't going to build the temple. He's not even going to see it. Solomon is. Hezekiah doesn't understand. He thinks it's protect the people of Jerusalem, and indeed it did for a time. But the pool of Siloam was placed there so Jesus, when he came, would have a place to direct this man to go, to have some significance so that the Pharisees who knew about Hezekiah, because they were good Jews, they knew the Old Testament, they knew the teachings, would look back and make the connection. So what's my point in all of this? My point is this. That sometimes in your life and in my life, it's necessary for you and I to be where we are so that God can get us to where he wants us to be. It's necessary to be where we are so God can get us to where he wants us to be. Because his plan, his ways, his thoughts are so far above ours. His plan is always perfect. It's always the best. And it's always at work. And when we trust and when we put our whole life in his hands, that's when we begin to see the work that he's done in the past. I can remember when the chains came off in my life. And some people can remember the day and the hour and the second. Maybe, maybe you can, that your relationship with Jesus Christ began. Maybe you can't. But I can. I can remember exactly when those chains came off. And immediately what happened is the past started to be illuminated behind me. And I began to see people, events, things that happened in my life 30, 40 years earlier. In fact, some of my earliest memories where God had placed a call and said, 
come. This is what I want you to do. This is who I want you to be. This is where we're going. But I kept on going my own way. I kept thinking, you know, I can do this. I've got it under control. And then step by step, he began to bring me back. And listen, I had this planned all along for this day, for this time, for this moment, so that my work in you would be glorified. I don't know what you're going through. Some of you are going through some trials. But whatever it is, know this, that God has put you there because he's got something planned down the road for his glory. Not for yours, not for mine. It's for his glory. And when it's his glory, my friends, it's the best. When it's his plan, it's the richest. When it's his way, it's beautiful. And it's just filled with blessing. Father, thank you that the roads of our lives that we take, we never take alone. Lord, you know when we stumble. You know when we fall down. You know when we go the wrong way. And we know, Lord, that you have a redemption planned. That you have a point in our lives where your glory will be on display for all to see. So, Lord, help us to know that where we are is exactly where you want us to be. And by looking to you and nurturing our relationship with you and drawing closer to you, we will get to that point where we can truly say, I can see And it will be by your grace, through your mercy, and we give all the glory to you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.